This episode is sponsored by Overcast, a better podcast app than whatever you're using right now. Unless it's Overcast. Get Overcast for free on the App Store. It's just me. It's just me, your other co-host, Unji Kim today. Peter is out of town living what looks to be a very beautiful existence in Sedona, Arizona for his birthday, for a writer's retreat. He's he's living his best dream, truly. Um, he's, make no mistake about it, he's, um, yeah, he's doing a really beautiful thing out there. I don't know. I, I don't, I've never been to Sedona. I only know of it. My friend in high school um, had relatives that lived there. And so she knew, I don't know if you're familiar with um, this person. She had a hit song in uh, to the 2000s, um, Michelle Branch. She's from Sedona. And my, cousin, my friend knew her because she was good friends with her cousin. Anyways, Sedona, I'll never forget my friend telling me what a special place Sedona is. It's like got crystals and shit. Things vibrate on a psychic, psychic level. It's considered very important. You know, that shit. Anyway, this, that's where Peter is vibrating psychically, sensually at um, a higher level than you or I. So it is just me today. Um, <laughs> there was very famously another Ajima podcast episode where Peter did it alone. So I thought this could be a tit uh, for that tat. Um, I am going to just like, I'm going to basically follow the exact same format is just P- Peter won't be here. So if you want to imagine how he's going to talk or you can talk at me, um, I doubt it'll make that much of a difference. I mean, if, for in terms of what I'm going to be saying, you know, um, but yeah, I've, you know, I, we usually spend this top of the half, this top part talking about, you know, catching up and these things. Let me tell you something. I don't typically drink water. I don't drink water like at all. Like like a camel going through the desert, I will go many days uh, before I realize I have not had a sip to drink. And I'll be in a horrible mood. I'll be pissy and really, I mean, and at that point you have to, I, I mean, my urine is always thick, um, but like it gets to a point where I like, you know, even I am like, oh my gosh, it hurts to pee because of how thick it is. I'll realize this. So I, I, I do go long times without drinking um, water. I do drink a lot of other things, um, mostly coffee and caffeinated beverages um, is what I drink. Very little water. Sometimes I have a little bit of juice if I feel really thirsty. Um, but yeah, I've been trying to drink a little more water lately because of, I mean, I can only describe it as like my mouth and lips began to pucker due to dehydration. It was almost cartoonish, you know, like when, um, there's like some sort of salt 
poured on something or there's a anime character that's being sucked dry of their life essence. Like that is what was happening to my lips. And it was happening rapidly. You know, it's not like I haven't, it, you know, it's not as if I had consistently been drinking water and all of a sudden went through a period where I didn't. I have never had a lot of water. I don't like it. It's just never been a, a thing with me. I never had a lot of water. I don't know. You know, and I, I've talked about this before. I've had several immigrant people come up to me and be like, yeah, I don't like to drink water either. I don't know what was happening in our immigrant homes. Uh, maybe the tap water was no good. Um, you know, who knows? Anyway, so I don't drink water. So then it, this, it's not so it's not as if I suddenly stopped drinking water and this happened. I have been not drinking not drinking any water and my body betrayed me in this way. So, you know, I've been trying to drink some water in reaction to this. It's helping a little bit. I mean, I've been doing it for two days. I don't know. I'll let you know next week with Peter how it's going, I guess. Um, so I've been dealing with that, putting a lot of aquaphor on my lips and my face. And so, you guys, I, I'm going to talk about something a little disturbing. It's not something that I was prepared to even experience, but I was scrolling through Instagram as you do. And I saw something from the Nat Geo Instagram account that was, a, it was some, it's something called a face transplant. Google it. If you want to, um, ha- if you want to see something that will haunt you forever, like if you're ready to be irrevocably changed, go at it. So it's something called a fa- face transplant and it's r- ruined my life, I think. Um, but it's one of those things where, and in current times, in the current s- political content milieu, you know, the shit that's happening out here in these streets, there's always going to be a moment. I feel like we, I feel this as someone who is just, I would, I would even say more, but just only slightly more sensitive than the average bear. Okay. I'm a little more attuned to things out here. On a daily basis, we're confronted with both the extreme tragedy and joy of what humanity can give to us, right? This is what's happening. It's happening and and it's shrill. The tragedy is shrill and the joy is shrill. Things are happening at a volume and at a pace that is simply breathtaking and we know is not normal or good or healthy. So this sort of cognitive dissonance, this type of, um, you know, cacophony is not new, right? We're dealing with this shit every day. But this face transplant, it did something to me in terms of both the joy and tragedy. And, and, and then it's like, a, it's a fucking, it was a flaccid flap of human face flesh, okay? On a table, a OR table with doctors and reporters just staring at this face that was not on a body. And I mean, 
I don't know if any of you have ever seen the um, uh, John Travolta and Nicolas Cage, John Malkovich um, hit blockbuster movie Face Off. One of my favorite movies. But it was like that, except, you know, in Face Off, it's like crazy, you know, technology thing. Everything about this image in the Nat Geo account, and then I looked it up, obviously, and learned everything I could about it. It happened in Cleveland. It happened to a woman named Katie Stubblefield. Again, if you want to look it up, it's a it's a tragic tragedy. It's a tragic story um, about an attempted suicide and overdose, and then and like an accident, and then also the miracle of being able to do a fucking face transplant you know and it's all wrapped up and it's like this lady's face that looks she they've plant plant they trans face planted this lady and, and you know like it's like well i mean she can't see it because she's blind but it's like well, well you know what what's the I mean, she's like, well, now I just can kind of blend in because it's not like I don't have a face. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Anyways, that's one thing that's been on my mind. Um, and also, I'm just going to go through my tabs here. Because um, that's literally what I do. I have uh, a tab open here that's just a picture, many, many pictures of myself. I have my email. I have work stuff, uh, work stuff, work stuff, just so you guys know that I'm doing stuff. Um, I have this thing up about um, this vintage Indian poster uh, about how to be an ideal boy uh, and how to be a bad girl. Um, I got a Slack open. I've got this menu of this restaurant in Chicago that gives that has a whole duck on it. I've been looking at this menu and let me know if you guys, I mean, you guys all, I'm sure I, this is not that weird, but I just look at menus of restaurants that I've never been to. And honestly, probably will never go to, but if, especially if it's really expensive, but it's just lovely to look at, um, you know, like the read the ingredients. It's like reading a, um, it's like reading song lyrics to me. You know, it sounds nice. Sounds nice to my ears and smells nice to my memory of what things might taste like. I've got a recipe for pumpkin bread, this uh, crunchy shrimp tortilla thing that my friend told me about. She says it's, she guarantees is a hit. It's baked crispy shrimp tacos. It does look very good. I mean, candidly, it seems like a lot of work, so I don't know if I'm going to do it. I've got this list of fugitives, uh, fugitives from justice who have disappeared. A fascinating Wikipedia uh, disambiguation highly suggest again I will put tell it to you guys list of fugitives from justice who disappeared amazing amazing stories of human resilience of the criminally insane and, and honestly especially in uh, recently a lot of political intrigue um, just a lot of like uh, motherfuckers that are like just up and disappeared a lot more than you think would think in modern times you know, like this is real James Bourne shit. Uh, very fascinating. Highly, highly recommend. Um, and then I've got this thing of uh, a bunch of like, I don't know, you guys. So the holidays are coming up. I've got a bunch of Hanukkah stuff, right? And I got to ask, 
What? My son asked for, I asked him recently what he wanted for a Shabbat dinner. And his reply to me was crab or caviar. Now, no, no, before you say, oh, wow, what a fancy baby. This baby has had crabs not that often. I have had it and I have not given him any. But I mean, so he's not had crab that often. And then caviar. Another food he has not had that often. Now, as we approach, he's about to turn five. We're approaching territory where this is like um, ground. This this is foundational shit for his personality and his future that we're, this is that era that we're entering here. And when we talk about gifts, now those of you who have listened before or were at the live show, know that Holidays, you know, it, and, and for most immigrant kids, it's not like a huge uh, thing. I recall, like, I was telling my friend, this, and honestly, I was getting teary-eyed even just re- re- recalling it. I remember a, as a wintertime treat, probably around the holidays, right? My mom and I would go to the Marshall Fields. When it was a Marshall Fields, not a Macy's, but a Marshall Fields, like a Chicago institution, you'd go downstairs uh, at the old Orchard Mall, so not the one downstairs, where down uh, in Chicago, where there's like a walnut room, very fancy restaurant. But there was like a cafe version of that in the old Orchard that someone had taken my mother once, and so she took me. And we would get a chicken pot pie. It was famous for that, I think, or I don't know. You know, honestly, it was just the thing that my mom ordered, so I got that. I mean, what the fuck do I know? I was ten. And we would eat this chicken pot pie and have a lovely time. I mean, it's one of the things I remember, you know, and like walking through a Marshall Fields at Christmas time, like you got fucking Frango mints, you got music and lights and all the things that make a winter holiday cozy. And we, she, and I, I just distinctly her pulling out the money to pay for this stuff out of a different, uh, envelope, right? Like, like stuff that she, like the one that she had hidden from my father so that we could go to this thing. And my son asked me for crab or caviar on a random Friday night. Now, as we prepare for Hanukkah and I mean, this boy is living Hanukkah every day of his life. I mean, he's, he's living large. He's living Hanukkah extra large. Um, and being faced with my, this, I think other immigrant parents can empathize with this deep and abiding need to give to your child everything you did not have. And alongside the knowledge that you know that they will be shittier because of it. Because especially um, like sort of sec- second generation, like, or like a first half generation, like myself, like you grew up alongside kids that were rich uh, or had more things. 
Uh, most of that, you know, and especially white kids that had that sort of stuff, you know, that that's bad. You know how shitty that looks. That being said, you also know how it felt to not have any of those things, the painful sort of, so do you give your child these bittersweet memories? So do you, oh shit. Hello? Uh Oh, okay. Well, we're back. And I guess the answer is I will give, I'm, so this, I guess where I've gotten to with all of this is that I will give my son slightly more and that's it. I mean, I truly, I think that's enough, like slightly more, right? Slightly more. And the thing is we can afford that. I can afford that. I was doing the math recently on what it would take because I know several friends whose parents paid for all of their school and their lives are so much better. But and I did the math. I'm like, oh, it's because their parents were millionaires. It's so fucking expensive. Anyways, um, I, uh, I'm, I'm just going to do slightly more. I do. I will say that I particularly and this is selfish. I do like making things special for my son like having something making things special is like a nice feeling for not just him but for us as a family and that is something that I don't know if I will compromise but I mean you know making something feel special doesn't take money um like things and actual stuff does you know Anyways, with that, I will, let's take a quick break and I'm going to transition to like actual things. Okay. Bye. All right. We are back. Well, I mean, I am back. Just me. Um, I will say that I was, I was looking for some, some things to like really talk about, but I really wanted to have um, Peter here. So I'm going to just kind of go through, I'm going to highlight these three books um, about a Korean American kids. They're like young, young adult books. Um, I know that there aren't like too many parents on here, but if you have, or an uncle or an aunt what have you. Also, some of these honestly just sound good anyway, uh, just to read. Um, one of them is called Clara Lee and the Apple Pie Dream. It's by Jenny Han and Julie Kuo. Julia Kuo. Uh, Clara, she's a third grader. She's Korean. And she dreams of becoming a little Miss Apple Pie, but she's afraid of public speaking. So she must accept um, some disappointments, but then acquire confidence about pursuing her dream. We've also got something, and this was crazy. This was actually breathtaking to me. This is a young adult novel called Stand Up, Yumi Chung. And her greatest dream is to be a stand-up comedian. But she's shy, and she doesn't think her parents would support it. So she's a Korean-American who doesn't want to disappoint her parents. And so somehow she's got to also save her parents' Korean barbecue restaurant, all while going to a comedy camp in secret. Um, this is a middle grade, middle school book, but it's, um, it's, this is crazy. Anyways, by Jessica Kim, stand up Yumi Chung. And then, um, this last one is, um, it's called Pippa 
Park Raises Her Game. And this is by Erin Yun. This is a contemporary reimagining of Great Expectations. And it follows a Korean-American Pippa as she, uh, she wins a basketball scholarship to a private school and reinvents herself. Um, and then, you know, it's all this great expectation stuff, um, you know, as iconically paid, played uh, by Gwyneth Paltrow's um, nipples in that green sweater set. Um, if you guys haven't watched it, so I've ruined the best part. Um, Pippa Park Raises Her Game by Aaron Yun. This is uh, a collection of young adult books that, again, you can just read yourself. There's no shade in that game. Like, you know, I've recently mostly been reading children's books as well as well as uh graphic novels and um you know i gotta say it's good i like it a lot um no no it's nice it's just really nice um next just a another sort of reminder regarding this uh the georgia election donate if you can korean america if you have anyone out there um talk to them uh, it's January 5th is the election. If you know anyone in there, talk to them, donate money. Asian Americans are a huge part of the democratic strategy to win there. So if you can reach out, um, just, uh, seems like Minari is doing really well. It's a, like, kind of like a phenomenon at Sundance. I did audition for this, um, Oscar bait movie. <laughs> Which seeing the actress who plays the woman I the role I read for, you know, and this is the thing we talk a lot about failure on this podcast. They don't we don't really talk as much about um, the deep shame and embarrassment that can come from failure. And it's like I didn't even fail because what I the effort I put forth, I don't know, um, could even qualify as an attempt. Um, but it is so deeply, I mean, if I ever become like prime minister of America or, you know what I mean, this, that audition tape could be used to discredit me and bring down whatever coalition I have. Um, it's that damaging. There would be no charm. There's no charm to what I did. There was no, um, oh, look at her putting a fourth. It was, it, it was, it's what I did to the script was, is almost, not, not almost, I will say it was offensive and actually a hate crime. Like what I did was anti-Korean and, um, so before that tape can even be released, I want to apologize. I'm going to come out in front of that story and say, I apologize. Oh boy. Um, there's a very interesting uh, story in uh, the Rolling Stone called K-pop is only half the story of Korean pop music. Um, kind of what I, I like to talk about a little bit. And even um, they, they actually talk uh, a little bit. This article talks a little bit about um, the trot craze um and it's sort of like older genre korean music like hey it's i don't know how to describe it but it's like um it's uh it's like cheesy bar music f 
from like that old our parents liked. And uh yeah, it sounds like like it's a lot of like uh, stories about like be a, a lady who works at a factory. She drank a glass of m milk and it was sour, just like my the, the tears, just like my tears. Um like like it's that sort of cheesy it's like kind of classic character in uh, i um, maybe if you're an older white american what you would think korean music sounded like <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah that's i i that's kind of my i like that kind of korean music a lot and that's apparently making a big comeback um one of the big points in this article, and if you want to check it out, it, that they discuss is the sort of like Orosboros nature of K-culture that is being exported that is now coming back and influencing the culture that it came from. So she doesn't discuss it, but something I find interesting is that a lot of Korean music that is a popular abroad is not necessarily a huge hit in Korea. For example, BTS not was not that huge in Korea when it broke abroad. Psy, uh, uh, the infamous, infamous single Gangnam Style, not a huge hit. He himself not a huge personality or celebrity until he broke abroad. And then Koreans went crazy for it. It's if you have ever watched the Parasite, Parasite the movie, there are several instances where she talks about how an item in their home is is from America. And she says it with sort of this point one it being a classist indicator that this isn't good. And also by virtue of it being white and made in America that it is somehow better. And that idea is very much inherent in how when the Korean music that is not popular in Korea is accepted abroad, in particular in America, that funnels back to Korea and then Koreans accept it because simply because um, Americans have accepted it. If it's popular, it must be good. It's a very deeply Korean idea. Like if it's pop, like if it's popular, it must be good, right? Um, and that's a, that's actually an idea that kind of pervades capitalism, period. Um, and the thing is, there's nothing wrong with that. I am uh, as someone, I, you know, I um, would say that someone who spent a lot of time being somewhat snobbish about things and very for whom someone a discerning taste meant that you hated things that were popular. I don't have anything against things that are popular. I just think this phenomenon is interesting and that one um that a part of it has to be this um idea of being the colonized thing like if it's accepted by americans and we must accept it um but there is also a power that's being um reclaimed an agency that is being um reclaimed inside of in, inside of korea by this newfound interest in other types of music, cake, Korean indie music, for example. And if you've ever listened to K dramas, you're not unfamiliar with it. I mean, K drama is like it's almost all K quote unquote indie music. It's all just like acoustic guitars and like cute 
boys and girls singing lovely songs that are catchy. You know, it's like indie pop music, really. Um, and and it almost has nothing to do with the sort of EDM, R&B driven K-pop machine. Um, but as K-dramas also evolve, I mean, the point of the article is that this, the fact that Koreans are starting to understand that what Americans like is what Koreans like, that Koreans are making this culture, that this influence goes really both ways and therein lies this agency, therein lies this power that the Korean culture is starting to really take ownership over. Because even this um, pro- national pride and deep sense of responsibility that Koreans feel about the culture that they export, right? It was all kind of contingent also on the idea that it is accepted by the external world. Um, and then, then it get, you, you kind of get caught up in this sort of, sort of Korean um, self insecure, like uh, insecurity about like, well, will they like me if I'm a little different? And I think Koreans are now sort of understanding. It's like, it's the, the thing that we do is what is interesting. It's not that we've made something that they like, right? There's a thing about authenticity and something about the Korean experience and Korean interpretation of culture that is, is incredibly resonant right now with more than just Korea. I mean, that's all. That was the sort of, that was, that's the end of my spiel about that. Um, and then I've got this thing open about uh, Korean actresses in their forties, um, where I, I, what I like to do is I do this and then I do a Google search and then I just have, uh, I guys, you guys remember that thing I had said earlier about, um, pictures of myself. So I just go through it and I compare, I feel bad about my face and body. And then I feel good about my face and body. You know, it's a real, um, hero's journey that happens at about 2 AM in the morning. And then, um, okay. Now, I don't have any kick-ass Koreans for you this week. I mean, really, I don't. I, I, I kind of do. I kinda do um, you know, it's, it it's going to be like uh, Yumi Hogan again because she's about to receive the Order of Civil Merit from fucking Korea. Um, and, you know, whatever, there's a... Uh, there's like this documentarian that I'll talk about, but what I'm saying is I don't really have one, but if you've been watching the K-drama startup, it's, it's, it's good. Watch it. It's a K-drama classic, a lovely, uh, light romp provided to you by, uh, Netflix. And, um, it's about a startup. Set up, but the controversy regarding the second lead about that um, Ji Pyeong, the second lead, rom- the second male romantic lead, and how much more popular he is than the main lead, uh, Nam Do San, is crazy. If you've been following this at all, there's been an outcry. People love. Um, Han Ji Pyeong, like they want him to be, they want, you know, there's never been an instance where the second male romantic lead has done so much better and there's an outcry among the fans and Nam Do San like isn't right for her. And 
was I read all about this controversy before I started watching the show. And I was prepared to be like what everyone else was saying, because I also love a second male romantic lead. Um, it's uh, it's a thing that I love to do because I love to torture myself. You, you know, you you know, when you like to watch something because it kind of makes you feel bad, feel angry. That's why I love it. I love to feel that. Having watched Startup. This controversy is so stupid. There Taimi and Jipyong don't even have many scenes together. They don't even, there's not, there's like maybe a handful of times they're even standing next to each other or in the vicinity. They're not even the same goddamn place most of the time. They don't exchange more than, I would say, 10 words in the first 10 episodes outside of the fucking letters. But they don't send, they they don't share many words at each other. There's not even any like lingering looks. There's no, I mean, and Nam Sang and um, Taimi, they fucking hold hands and fucking kiss with the, I mean, their skinship right away. There's no way this, this bitch is going to wind up with the second male. That's just not a thing that happens. It's crazy. What I'm trying to say is the internet is stupid. And you should not read stuff like that before you start watching a show because then you get angry at the pens. And, and also you spend the first 10 episodes looking for something that doesn't happen. You wind up being like, you, you wind up fast forwarding through some pretty important moments that you have to go back to watch because you think you want to get to the part where her and the second male romantic lead are going to share moments, but that doesn't even happen. And now it's, it's time for the your favorite part of the show and mine, kick-ass Koreans. Kia! Okay, now I'm still hung up on this startup thing. Okay, I got. I got <laughs> okay, uh, the first lady Yumi Hogan, right? You know we know her and love her. Um, she is about to receive the Order of Civil Merit from Korea, the Republic of Korea, the nation's highest and most prestigious civilian honor. At the embassy in D.C. Now, she's a first-generation Korean-American. She also is the first Korean-American first lady of any state. And I mean, she's of, of Maryland. She's the first lady of Maryland. You know, this bitch is the governor's wife. It's crazy. Um, and she's, this is her thing, or this is her statement. As a first-generation Korean-American and the first Korean-American first lady of any state, I have made it my mission to bring different generations of Korean-Americans together to connect Korea and Maryland and to promote the value and beauty of Korean culture and heritage. Our success is thanks to many Korean-Americans in Maryland who have kept our community's legacy alive and our partners in Korea who share special friendships with our state. Um... Yeah, I mean, we've talked about her before. She has become a passionate advocate for Korean adoptees and, and Korean war veterans. She also, you know, brought over fucking 
Mass and Tess, at the, in the very early days of um, the, the COVID crisis, you know, she brought, uh, she, she, they've used over 370,000 tests in the fight against COVID. You know, she coordinated this shit with the South Korean government. You know, this is not a, this was a diplomatic exchange. Um, yeah. I mean, really wild. The connections now between, as the generations move on, between Korea and, and America, it's just become, they become closer. You know, and the ties that bring us closer are also changing. It's not just family now. Now, the other one, I don't know if you guys have uh, watched this. Uh, it's a Netflix. Uh, it's a Netflix documentary called "The Speed Cubers," and uh, it's a documentary on the speed cubing champions Max Park and Felix Zemdigs. Um, Max Park is a he's a Rubik's cube speed solver who is Korean. Um. I don't know if they're all Korean. I, I'm just, I'm telling you as someone who watches, I think his dad is Korean. I don't know if his mom is. Anyways, um, but he has severe autism. And um, basically he's used the Rubik's Cube and speed cubing as a way to help refine his, uh, I mean, honestly, social and fine motor skills. And it, speed cubing helped develop them. And, um, he's become one of the best in the world. I think he's won, he's set multiple world records and it's either him or this other guy, Felix, that have exchanged the record in the last 10 years. Um, so I just wanted to highlight this documentary speed cubers, but the thing about it, it's also directed and produced by a Sue Kim. Um, so it just seems to be like a whole little, I mean, I don't know how they discovered each other, but it's definitely, um, a little Korean little hive I saw. So if you want to check it out, it's very cool. Um, called the speed cubers and also just seeing someone on the spectrum achieving something and then their name and face and family being Korean. Also, you love to see it. So those are my kick-ass Koreans. And this was my solo episode you know I've, i i gotta say there were some technical issues um i've been freeballing it um yeah just uh hope it all works out let me know if you don't like it don't don't tell me i mean you can tell me because you know also i love to uh feel bad but uh, if you like it let me know you know um but not too much um yeah and that's it okay i'm gonna go for a walk now bye audio